0: Kia from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoitoy, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service, and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page, or feel free to contact our church office. Well, you've been talking about done deal, and this morning I get the chance to do part three with you, which is called the best deal. How many of you uh, uh, identify with the fact that we all love a good deal? We all love to get a good deal. I have many Korean friends. And Koreans, uh, they, they kind of have a way of doing business in which they feel that they've only got a good deal if they've sort of bartered the price down a little bit. So you know, if you're selling or buying a home, and the, and so uh, you know, it's maybe it's for nine hundred thousand dollars. They they just don't feel that they could buy that home unless they've got you down to eight hundred and fifty. They believe if you wanna, if you got a good deal, then you're gonna have to barter the price down. I feel somewhat uncomfortable with that, but you know, different cultures, different people groups, they feel that's a good deal if I can just barter the price down a little bit. My daughter, she, she's a shocker. When she travels, she likes to get a good deal on everything she gets. And so I, I just kind of stand outside the shop until the deal was done. But, you know, Ma- Morty and I, uh, over our uh, years of marriage, one of the things that we've done is that we've normally allowed ourselves to have one higher purchase at a time, one time payment at a time. And when we do that, or before we do that, we'll often look at the different uh, retailers. We'll look at the price on it. Maybe we're buying a fridge. We'll look at the different prices of the fridge, and we'll just try to get, uh, work out which is the deal. And then we wait for interest-free terms, because we want to get the best deal. And uh, so there's just something in the human condition, isn't there, that just says, I'd love to make sure that I get a great deal. Just have a look at this verse here hope I can just bring it to you there. I kind of love this in in the book of Proverbs in chapter 20 and verse 14, it says this, it's no good. It's no good, says the buyer. Then he goes off and boasts about his purchase. I think a lot of us are like that, you know, oh, it's nothing. It's not a very good. As soon as we get away, man, you should should have seen the deal I got because we all love a good deal, don't we? I've I've kind of lived like that. Uh, My mum and dad, uh, either wisely or unwisely, called me Bruce Andrew McDonald. That's about as Scottish as you can get. And if you've got Scottish bones uh, in your body, you you need to know. I don't know. Do you know a definition of a Scotsman? A Scotsman who can buy something off an Indian, he can sell it to a Jew, and he can still make a profit. So we like a good deal. But, you know, in May of this year, I I went to a seminar with a man by the name of Dave Hodgson. Uh, He uh, currently lives on the Gold Coast, uh, but it was uh, Zimbabwean by birth. Uh, But Dave taught this incredible seminar. In fact, it's so exciting because I've got the opportunity to have him come to Auckland on May the 6th. I think Pastor Ulu is going to come to the seminar and maybe uh, a few others of the leaders are going to come and join. But Dave really did a job on my mind when, when he came to uh, Tauranga in February. And I just loved everything he said. And one of the things that he, he has as a saying, he said this, he says, he has this thing: ASP. Can somebody say ASP? A-S-P. And in, in the business, he says that it should always be ASP. All shall prosper. So he has this kind of thing that he says, look, in my businesses, he's got 32 companies. Their total value is nearly a billion dollars. Amazingly wealthy man. But he says, you know, I live with this philosophy. My wife works with this philosophy. All of our general managers of our companies, that all shall prosper. I was thinking about that and thinking, you know, sometimes in in us wanting to get a good deal, we're willing to beat everybody else down. But he says, you know, if we if we have a philosophy of all shall prosper, it's almost like everybody wins, everybody can gain. And he says, you know, if we're willing to share and to care with our resources, there is almost an unlimited amount of resources on planet Earth. All shall prosper. And I was thinking about Easter as an economic, uh, as an economic, uh, from an economic point of view. If I hit that one there right, there we go, all shall prosper. I was thinking about Easter from an economic point of view. I don't know whether you've ever thought about this, but uh, even economically, Easter was a very prosperous time for some people. For a start, Judas, he he, uh, betrayed Jesus, and for that, he was given 30 silver pieces, 30 coins that he was given for betraying Jesus. That was essentially at the value of the day. That was the price you paid for a slave. Wow. Just imagine that. He sold his friend, arguably his best friend, for 30 pieces of silver, the price you would pay for a slave. But don't get me wrong. You see, buying a slave was the privilege of only the wealthy. So that was a lot of money in his time. And then we know the continuing story how after uh, that Jesus was taken into captivity and uh, was facing his trial, Judas felt bad about it. And so he goes back to the temple and he wants to give them back the money. He wants to say, listen, I betrayed an innocent man is the way he said it. And the the chief priests, their argument or their response to that is, is just so dismissive. They simply say to him, that's your business, you see to it. And can you remember the story how he just threw the 30 pieces of coins into the temple and went his way? Well, the chief priests didn't have a lot of good moral courage in those days, but they had enough moral dignity not to put those money into the offering. And so they said, look, we can't put it into the offering because it's the the price of blood is the way they say it. It's the price of blood. And so what they do is they go out and they buy a field. That's quite a lot of money. If you just think in Auckland terms, it costs a lot of money to buy a field, right? So they buy a field called the potter's field. And they gave it and made it available to the community to to bury those who were foreigners, those who maybe had died while they were in the city of Jerusalem but did not have the resources to pay for their own funeral. And so, once again, Easter was about an economic transaction. Somebody prospered as a result of Easter. Have you ever uh, read the story a little bit further? As Jesus is hanging on the cross and dying, the most agonizing of all deaths, it tells us uh, that the soldiers who are on duty, the soldiers who were were, were at the foot of the cross and and around doing their job, if you like, on that day, they began to um, uh, cast lots. They began to throw the dice to see who could have what pieces of clothing. And one of them ended up with Jesus' garment that he had been wearing that day, which is described as a seamless garment, the garment of a wealthy man. And so the soldiers prospered by their work that day. We often forget there was economic things happening, wasn't there? And then Jesus dies, and uh, rather quickly they, they uh, bring him down from the cross because the following day is to be a holy day. The following day is to be the Passover Sunday, or Passover Saturday, sorry. So they don't want Jesus and the other men on the cross on that day, so they bring him down quickly. And so they put him in a tomb, uh, and the Bible says it's the tomb of a wealthy man, uh, a wealthy man's tomb. And uh, then the, the uh, chief priests remo- uh, remember that Jesus had said uh, something about dying and rising on the third day. So they don't want to uh, have any rumors go around that that might happen. So they go to the governor and they say to him, would you allow for a guard to be put on the, uh, outside the tomb? So that uh, they keep the body safe. Well we, we know the story, don't we guys? Having, it didn't matter how many soldiers were there. They didn't matter how many tomb guards were there that day. They put a seal on the door, but nothing was going to stop happening, what we know happened on the Sunday. Nothing was going to happen that day because an angel turned up, and his intent is to open or do- uh, uh, to roll away the stone, because he knows it's resurrection Sunday. Well, when those tomb guards saw the angel, the Bible said they just fainted right away. They fell down on the ground is the way the Bible said it. We would say they fainted. And then when they finally did get up, they go running back into the city. How many people remember that part of the story? And so they go running back into, this, into the city and they go and visit the chief priest and said, you just would never believe what just happened. This angel came, he rolled away the stone, and then if you read what the scripture says, in fact, maybe it's time that I turned out Bibles, so if you did bring a Bible with you this morning, why don't you just open it with me for a moment and have a look at it, and this is the way it describes it uh, in Matthew chapter 28, no, sorry, Matthew chapter 27. Let's just go down almost to the end of the chapter in verse 51, and I just want to read it to you momentarily because it's quite good. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the. I think I've given the wrong verse there. that shouldn't have done that. Uh-uh. I hate to. Win. You ever do that? I'm sure you don't. I'm going to get it right if I can. Maybe I'm not going to get it right. No, I'm just going to have to tell you a story. I, I, maybe I should tell you a story. At, at, at uh, 8 o'clock this morning, I was about to print out my notes for the service this morning, and it disappeared off my computer. It was a miracle. No, it wasn't. It was a disaster. So I had to rewrite them so some of the scriptures are not there clearly. So, so these guys go back into the city, and, and they tell the, the chief priests what has happened. And the Bible tells us this. It says, and they, the chief peace priests paid them a great sum of money to tell a story that the that their disciples had come and stolen away the body of Jesus. Once again, an economic Transaction took place. Some people were prospered by Easter. Wow. And then, have you ever thought of the part of the story, and that's where I was about to read in, in verse 51, and maybe I should now. Now behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened. Look at this, guys. We, we sometimes read over this part of the story, and, and we don't even notice it. The graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Somebody say, wow. That is amazing. Many uh, bodies of the dead, or righteous dead, were raised. In fact, that gets me so excited, I I could say it backwards. Wow. (laughs) Amazing situation. And, and look, well, that's not such an economic transaction, but can you just realize this, uh, this incredible unloosing of power that took place uh, at that moment of time, that not only was Jesus, uh, the power of Jesus, going to be resurrected by that power, but righteous dead who were waiting for that time, righteous dead who were sit, you know, lying uh, dead in the tombs, suddenly their, their graves are open and they rise up and they begin to walk about and they're seen by many people within the city and I want to add something that the Bible doesn't say they never went back to the tombs. It was over. Death was finished for them. Anyone get a little bit excited by that. That's why I think that that's you know that's the done deal. That's the best deal you can have. For them the waiting was over. For them they were part of the first fruits that's talked about in 1 Corinthians 15. For them it was time to go home. Resurrection Sunday, uh, or or Resurrection Saturday in that case, happened for them. I would have to say to you, that's a great deal. Praise the Lord. That is a great deal. And then let's just talk about us for a moment. What it is to purchase for us. You see, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. It's an economic term that's used, that Paul uses there to describe the problem that you and I had with sins that were so great, with a debt that was so enormous that it could not be paid off. There was no way we were going to satisfy the creditor. No way that we could satisfy that which we owed. And on that wonderful day, aren't you so glad Aren't you so glad that Jesus died and rose again for us so that sin could be forgiven, that our lives could be cleansed, so that we could have our names put in the, the, the book of life, so that we could uh, have an eternal destiny in a place that is so magnificent? That I can't find the English words sufficiently to be able to describe it to you. And that we can have a relationship with God which is not only never ending, but it's all empowering. What. A transaction. And no, it's the best deal I could ever have ha- talked to you about. It's the best deal that I have ever received in my life, is what happened on Resurrection Sunday when the price was paid. It resur- Easter weekend when the price was paid. My sin was forgiven, and I was given a second chance because you see, I grew up in a Christian home, and the one thing that I knew above all else was that there was sin in my life. From as early as I can remember, I was taught the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie, but I knew I had lied. I I read the Ten Commandments, and it said, Thou shalt not covet, and I knew that I had wanted what everybody else had. The Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And I knew I had thought and done things in my life which were not sexually pure and not sexually appropriate. And so I needed Easter weekend bad because the wages of sin is gone. But the gift of God is eternal life. And that's why it's so good to talk about a done deal today. It's so good to talk about the best deal deal that we can possibly get. You know, never forget, people, never forget that the the veil was torn in the temple. Never forget that that curtain was ripped from top to bottom when God said, I'm not going to let a separation happen any longer. No longer will I be contained in a box in the center of Jerusalem. No longer will I be contained behind a curtain that holds people out and keeps me away from people. It's time for me to be able to connect with human beings. No longer do I want to call them servants. I want to call them my sons and daughters. It's the best deal that's on offer. It's the best deal I can imagine. But this morning I want you to know that deal didn't come cheap. That deal cost something. And I want you, if you have your Bible still open, maybe you can come back from uh, verse 51, which we were just reading. Can I take you back to verse 42? In verse 42, it says this. Oh, I'm gonna read verse 41 to give us a bit of context. It says, likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and the elders, they all got in on the deal. He saved others himself. He cannot save. You know, you need to know That the only way all of those good things that I just talked about could happen is that Jesus had to realize that the transaction that he was about to enter into, the transaction that he was about to engage in, was going to cost him everything. he had Within him, he knew he had the power, the potential, and the willingness to save you and me. But the only way he could do that is he could not save himself. It was an either or. He had the option to save himself. He said it himself. He said, I can call on on, on God and he will send 12 legions of angels right now if I ask him to. But he never entered that prayer. He, He knew others he could save, but not if he chose to save himself. And guys, I don't, this is not specifically the, the, the heart of our message and our time together this morning, but I want to say there will come times in your life where it will be exactly the same for you, that if you have a desire and a willingness to help others, to save others in some situation, you will have to make the transaction that says, I can save them, but to do it, I cannot save myself. I think we watched, uh, some of you might have watched last night. We didn't take the time to watch it. I've watched it once. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. Hacksaw Ridge. Incredible movie of a man who made a decision that even if it cost his life, he was going to keep going out onto that battlefield and he was going to keep dragging soldiers back and letting them down into a place of safety, I think. Was it 47 in one night? Some astonishing, astonishing feat of self-sacrifice where he constantly again and again threw himself back into a place of Im- immense danger with one purpose in, in, in his mind, to save others, realizing that to save others, it may mean he could not save himself. And that's often the way we live, but we need to understand this morning that that's the way it was for our Jesus. Jesus. That's the way it was for Jesus when he went to the cross that weekend. He understood that those chief priests were speaking prophetically to him. He could save others, but the way that it had to happen was he could not save himself. It was an either or, not a both end. And we got the best deal. Can somebody say amen? I just love that so much. There were so many people that won. I love what Dave Hodgson said, I'm going to say it again, ASP, all shall prosper. If, if that is true, if that's possible in business, and uh, for those of us who get to, get to that seminar and hear Dave in a few weeks' time, we'll hear him say it again, all shall prosper. That's the way the kingdom of God works and that thing but if it was true if it's true in business if it's true in the 21st century I want to say in the very first century Easter time it was the time where that saying should have been said more than any other because Jesus said all shall prosper even those who are unkind and cruel to him all shall prosper so you know we got our sins forgiven and the price was enormous. But as we're just talking today, I just want to just mention to you, I hope that i have not going too far ahead of myself there. And you know, the Bible uh, tells us this great verse, and I'll come to it in a moment, but just as we do, when, when that happened, we received a power in our life that we did not deserve. It had to be a gift. Why? Because it, could, it was more than we could afford to pay. You see, if you could pay for something, it means that you have something of equal or greater value with which to purchase it. It is only possible to buy something if we have something of equal value or we have something of greater value. But if you look at this verse here, it says, For by grace you have been saved, and this is not of yourself. It is a gift. Can somebody say, it's a gift? It's a gift because there's no way that we could afford to pay it. If we could buy grace, it means that we have something of equal value or greater value with which to purchase it. We do not have anything that has an equivalence of value to grace. I need somebody to say amen. amen. But you know, sometimes when we talk about this little thing called grace, we, we miss some important qualities about it. And in the, in the Easter weekend, one of the wonderful things is we received a power in our lives that we do not deserve. For by grace you have been saved. But notice there it says, for by grace you have been saved. It doesn't say, for by grace you have been born again. At 14 years of age, I went to a camp. I guess there's just dozens and dozens of kids at camps all over New Zealand. I know that one of our neighbors, they're not a, a church-going family at all, but uh, he was just leaning over the fence talking to my son-in-law yesterday, uh, the day before yesterday, Sorry, and he says, oh, my daughter's gone off to an Easter camp. And I'll just tell you a little bit about how they're not church people at all. Because he said, you know, yesterday, she texted me yesterday morning. She said, yesterday, Dad, they did this thing for two hours. I'm not sure what it was. She said, it wasn't prayer. He didn't even know. it was. They were just worshiping God. So they're not church people. But I, 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 just, I can't wait to see that young lady when she comes home. I said, Lord Jesus, do it again but I went to a camp at 14 years of age and and when when I gave my life to Jesus at that time, everything changed and I received a power that I did not deserve. But you know, sometimes when we talk about this thing, grace, there's a little bit of, I think, a bit of a problem. I think the church has an uncomfortable relationship with grace. And one of the things that I think has caused that uh, discomfort with grace is that we have all grown up with one definition for grace, which I would like to talk with you a little bit about this morning. And and just give me a nod, you don't have to put your hand up, but give me a nod if uh, the way you've heard grace described, or maybe even the way you've described it to others, is you say that grace is God's unmerited favor. A lot of us have heard that term. And uh, I want to say this morning, I'm not persuaded that is the best definition that we might give to this thing called grace. Because you see, for, it says, for by grace that we have been saved, not by grace we've been born again. Because if we say by grace we've been born again, it means that grace did something back in the past. But the word says, for gra- by grace we've been saved. And If you look down the bottom, you'll see that the word saved there is the word sozo. Can somebody say Sozo. That's the Greek word that's used, and sozo is translated numerous different ways in the New Testament. It's translated, yes, as being saved. It's also translated as healed. When somebody got healed, they said they were sozoed. Uh, another place that said when somebody was made whole, remember the woman with the issue of blood, she goes and she goes up behind Jesus, she touches his garment, and the Bible says she was sozoed of her condition that very hour. Wow! It also means, so it means to be made whole. It also means to be delivered. And it also means to be made complete. It's an amazing word. And as you use those thoughts, it suddenly means, hang on, for by grace we have been saved. We have been sozoed. It means it's not just something that happened back there at that moment when we first met Jesus and our sin was forgiven and we were given new life. It's something that needs to be happening all the time. No wonder Paul starts off every letter virtually he wrote it, I think bar 1 by saying grace be unto you and as he gets to the end of the letter he finishes off by saying grace be unto you he launches every letter and he concludes every letter with these little words grace he wasn't just saying listen you're going to you need grace because you're going to you could be born again he says you're going to be need grace because you it's going to be what you're going to be saved we get a power we did not deserve. That's the best deal. So why have we used this term, Uh, you know, um, grace is God's unmerited favor? The problem with using that, I want to just tell, oh, let me just stop right now. Let me just say that is a very good definition for something else. I believe God's unmerited favor is a very good definition for mercy, the mercy of God is described as God's unmerited favor. But I have a feeling, and I just want to take a few moments for you, let me just this morning, just have a few moments of your time to teach you what I think grace actually is so that we might understand what God has given us. For by grace, you have been saved. So I want to give you that. Before I do, I just want to confirm you. Say, oh, I'm happy with that definition. Let me just ask you some questions this morning and challenge our thinking around this thing called grace. Just very, very quickly, can I just put that up for you? Now, let me ask a question. The first one is, if grace is God's unmerited favor, how come God only gives it to the humble? The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, if grace is God's unmerited favor, doesn't that just mean that everybody should get it? But God is very selective. He only gives grace to one kind of person. He gives the kind of to the grace to the humble. I don't think it's our definition has been the most helpful thing to us. Let me give you question number two. If grace is unmerited favor, how is it possible that we can fall from it? He says, "...for you have fallen from grace." If grace is unmerited favor, how could you fall for it? Surely it's a catch-all. Surely it sits at the bottom there, and everybody can just get it. Whenever they need it, for whatever they need at any time. It just is a catch-all for everyone. But the Bible says that you can fall from grace. Here's a question. Let's just think about this one for a moment. If grace is unmerited favor, why does the Bible tell us that Jesus was full of grace? Wow. He was full of this thing called grace. Is anyone here bold enough to say that Jesus needed God's unmerited favor? Oh, my, 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 my. He deserved all the favor he could get. Amen, Leo? Amen. He he, he was worthy of all the favor that God could give him. He didn't need God's unmerited favor. He He needed just to receive the favor that was owing to him for the life that he lived. Unmerited favor is a wonderful thing. I just don't think it's grace. One more question. Here we go. If grace is unmerited favor, how come Noah had to find it? Surely if it's unmerited favor, it just finds us. But It says Noah... But Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. And if you just got your mind going this morning, you're just thinking about these things, why uh, do you have to find it? Let me tell you, it's not because grace is lost. It's because grace is hidden. It's not lost, it's hidden. And so you need to find it for the circumstances that you're in. And whatever you're facing today, I want to tell you, there is nothing that you could face right now at this time in your life and this circumstance that can go beyond the grace of God to help you in the time of need. So amazing. So let me just take a moment and give you a different definition for grace, if that's all right. just want to quickly bring it up there. Whoop. Here we go, let me give you another, can I just give you another definition for grace? Is that okay on Easter Sunday morning? Let me just give you another just definition for this thing called grace. We received a power we did not deserve. This is what I think we got. Grace is the empowering presence of God that enables us to be all that God has called us to be and to do all that God has called us to do. That's grace. It's not a power. If you're a Christian here this morning, grace is not solely a power that you needed in the past so that you might be forgiven. It is a power in your life today to help you with every single thing you are facing and will face from now until time for you is no more. Grace is an active force. It's the empowering presence of God. It's what comes to us so that we can go through. And no wonder Paul came again and again and he greeted people and said, Grace be unto you. He was wanting to invoke the power of God into circumstances because he says, I want you to be something different to what you are. And the only way that can happen is if grace is working in your life. I need somebody to say amen this morning. And so an alcoholic walks into a church and he's tried everything. He's tried every program. He's tried every, every, every assistance, maybe every drug that was available to try and help him to deal with that thing. And he says, it's ba- bigger than me. And he comes to the foot of the cross. He comes to what Jesus did. He comes to the done deal that we're talking about. And his life is so radically tur- turned around that that, de- that that problem is resolved forever. That's grace. Talk about a young man like myself, 14 years of age, never even stayed at my friends' places because fear gripped my life so badly that I was afraid to stay at my friends' home even for one night. Where I would never walk into a room that unless the light was turned on, I'm sure that's never affected any of you, but I was afraid of so many things who didn't want uh, wanted to leave school because I never wanted to face an exam, never wanted to face anything that would be just possibly too hard for me. And at 14 years of age, gave my life to Jesus, and in two years went from the bottom of my class to the top of my class. In two years was so transformed, went on to be a school teacher and a principal. It's just not possible without Jesus. Somebody say amen. That's what grace looks like. Maybe today you're facing something that's just so big you say I don't know how to go through this. I want to tell you that Jesus comes today and says, "I've got the best deal for you." <laughs> Amen. I've got a power. I've got a power that can turn your failures into victory. Who can turn your turn your faith, uh, sorry, your fears into faith. Who can can take the worst day of your life and make it the best day of your life. That's a great deal. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Grace is the empowering presence of God. Oh, that i had time to sit with each of you and walk up to you and say, grace be unto you. Grace be unto you. May you know the empowering presence of God to be all that you should be. How many people are sitting here and say, when I was a child, I always thought I could be this, but then when time went past, you put it all aside because you just thought, it's just not possible. God wants to come to you today and say, when I went to the cross, I couldn't save myself, but I saved you. I want to give you the best deal. I want my empowering presence to be in your life so you can be all that you should be and do all that you should do. I want to just, let's put it up so we can just see it together. Now that's a great deal. So the near the end of Paul's life, the apostle paul, we we are, you know we all probably know him. Uh, I, I love the man so much just by having read things about his life. and and I, I, I read again and again how uh, that all the amazing things he did preached the gospel on three continents, started churches all over the known world at that time. And I read about him and I think, wow, Paul, you are so amazing. But I just want you to read what Paul says about himself. Let's just look at it together. Can I just read the words for you? Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yes, not I. Yet not I, sorry, not yes, not I. Yet not I. Can somebody read it with me? Yet not I, but the grace grace of God, which was with me. How do you do it? Quickly, as we finish this morning, I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Just uh, very quickly, if I could just take you to one more scripture. I think you're going to love this one. If you get there, would you say, just let me know you're there. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And let me just read some verses. I'm not even sure where I want to start, but I think we'll find something that'll just make you amazed. Verse 22, this is what Paul wrote. Just listen to me as I read it, family. It says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Wow, Paul's got on a roll here. Are they ministers of Christ? They speak like a fool. I am more, in labors more abundantly. And now he begins to roll into it, team. Just come with me on on a journey as we look at Paul's life. In stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Do you know why they always gave them 40 stripes minus one? Because, uh, in other words, 39 stripes. you know why they always gave them 39 stripes? Because 40 stripes nearly always killed a man. Jesus got 39 stripes, right? But he got it only once. Paul got it five times, family. Five times it happened to him. This man who was just relentless in his pursuit of God and his will for his life. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Well, that would do me and I can't stand cold water. I'd be gone after one of them. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles. Are we getting the picture, family? In perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brothers, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness, uh, often in hunger and thirst. And, and he goes on and on. And for time, I'm not going to read anymore. But all I want to say is we need to go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and say, and we ask the question, Paul, how did you do it? And in 1 Corinthians 15, he tells us how he does it. He says, I am what I am by the grace of God. There's a lot being asked of you at the moment, family. Has it come out of your lips for the last few months? We're only three and a bit months into into 2019, but has it come into your lips and said, I just can't do it. Sometimes when I get to that moment, you know, sometimes when I'm in the middle of the night, maybe there's a lot going, happening, a lot going down. Sometimes I just get out to Corinthians chapter 11 and I'll just read what happened to Paul and then I think, oh shoot, I think I'm okay. <laughs> Somebody identifying with me here this morning? You know, you think, oh, it's just so tough. It's just so difficult. My boss is a stinker. Three people got promoted this month ahead of me. I am what I am by the grace of God. We got a great deal. Turn to somebody and say, it's a great deal, family. I want you to stand with me this morning. We got a great deal. As we do, notice what Paul said, and the grace was not in vain. Wasn't in vain. God didn't waste His grace on me. But I have I worked harder than everybody. <laughs> I worked harder than everybody. Just love you to pray with me right now. Would you do that?